This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the show. That's Trav. I'm Drew. And I'm Trav. This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. And as always, we are here to give you our opinions on 80s and 90s media. Please make sure to contact us at our brand new email, podcast at overduehomework.com. Wow, Tra- was that easy to remember? <laughs> it's very easy, right? <laughs> podcast, that's what you're listening to, at overduehomework.com. Which is our podcast. There you go. Come so on, email very, us. Very easy to remember. Uh, Trav, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, Drew. We just got to hang out and do the homework together for a change. We haven't done that in a long time. A long time. I was actually just thinking about that this morning. I'm like, it's been a long time since we've done the homework and then did the podcast together. It's pretty awesome. And every time I come in your garage, I think of watching DBZ out in the garage. So I'm (laughs) I'm ready for the nice weather again. Yeah, me too. How are you doing, Drew? I'm doing really good. Um, I'm super excited for this episode. Um, I do want to talk about one thing, a weird experience that happened to me. Uh, so people, so if somebody comes up to you and is like, Hey, I want to tell you about this dream I had. Do you instantly roll your eyes and like, I don't give two fucks about your dream. (laughs) It depends. I mean, (laughs) if it's a close friend, I'm like, sure. Sounds awesome. But if it's like even an acquaintance level, I'm like, all right, (laughs) well, let's go. I'm telling you about this dream I had. So I've always been interested in like lucid dreaming where you realize that you're dreaming and you can control your dreams and stuff. And. To my knowledge, it's never happened. I have no memory of this happening. Same. But I kind of had a lucid dreaming experience probably about uh, maybe a month ago, and I just remembered to bring it up on the podcast today, <laughs> right now. So, you know, in that like half awake, half uh, asleep stage where sometimes you feel like you're falling, oh, and yeah. then you like catch yourself and you jolt yourself awake. Yep. So for some reason, that happened to me, but I was able to like embrace it. In my half awake, half sleepingness, and I thought to myself, "Embrace it, fall faster." <laughs> and I was like hurtling to the ground even faster. And it was weird because as soon as I thought that, I had like trees lining me, lining, uh, lining up next to me, like reaching up and pulling me down even faster and faster and faster. So that feeling of falling just continued and continued and continued for what felt like a really long time. It might have been 30 seconds or less. Who right, knows? Right. But it was just the oddest thing ever because I was like, I embraced it and I was like, fall, fall, fall. Embrace the it, pain. It was so weird. And so like the falling feeling was like a face down falling feeling. But in my half dream, I was oriented falling like i was oriented facing up so it was like this weird contradiction of feeling like i was falling face down but i was falling you know back down it was the weirdest thing ever it was so weird that when i woke up from it in the middle of the night to feed our son our newborn son i almost was like Kristen, i gotta tell you all about this (laughs) but she was still asleep and i'm like well i probably shouldn't wake her up to tell her about a dream probably not (laughs) so i don't know it was really really weird i just had an experience with lucid dreaming i think and i just wanted to share that it was just a really, really weird situation, a weird feeling, and like I wanted to recreate it the next night. I'm like, I hope I can do that again. I know. I don't know. It was just very, very weird. Very I, weird. I don't ever do the lucid dreams. I've never realized I was falling while I was falling. Yeah. Been able to embrace the fall, but yeah, I definitely wish I could go back into dreams. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you have a really good one that takes a long time in a certain night, and then you wake up. And yeah. Like, Please 
put me back into that same dream. <laughs> Almost never happens. Almost never happens, but it's surprising how often it kind of does happen. It does. Not necessarily the same night, but no. I've went back to the same like dream reality multiple times. Interesting. Like, it's weird. The it, mind, man. It'll always be like my grandparents' house or my dad's house, but it's way, 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 way different than their actual house. Hmm, like outside, but then you go in and it's fucking like seven stories tall with all these crazy compartments and stuff and it's weird it's super weird i like it that's awesome that's really awesome not as weird as this movie that we're about to no do. <laughs> no <laughs> this is a weird one that's for sure but speaking of the movie um i used some articles in preparation uh for this podcast one from imdb.com one from joeblow.com by <laughs> yeah <laughs> by alex uh matey and then one from bulletproof ProofAction.com by Ryan Campbell. Um, before we get into it, I want to talk about our best markets that download our podcast. Let's do it. We got Florida, we got Nevada, we got California, and Ohio. Those are our top four. Florida being our number one, besides Minnesota. I mean, excluding Minnesota because right, right, you know, right, that's right. our main listener base. Um, so my main question for those top four markets is, why have you not emailed us yet? <laughs> That's my main question. You're the people we actually don't know on a personal level. Yes. And you could email us. You could write the show. Yes. You could, we could read your emails for episodes upon episodes. Yeah. At that brand new email address. And now it's so easy. What was that email address, I, Jeff? I swear it's something like podcast at overdue homework. <laughs> it's it's that easy? It's that easy. Oh, my God. It's that easy. I mean, we are just a tiny, tiny podcast. Tiny, uh, tiny. Tiny, tiny podcast. And all we really want to do is ruin our podcast by including ads at some point. That's yeah. all we really want. <laughs> That's do. all we're really desiring <laughs> to do. So, you know, all of you out there in Florida, number two, Florida, please email us. I want some crazy Florida stories. That's what I That's really crazy. Because <laughs> looking at those states, I know we know who our listener from Ohio is, yep. one of them. Yep. But other than that, I don't know anybody in any of those states. So what I imagine is there's a group of probably like 10 teenagers in Florida that yeah. all download our podcast. Right, right. If that's the case, teenagers in Florida, email us. Email us. <laughs> just, just do it. Just do it. I can do it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay, with that out of the way, Trav, should we get into our homework review? Let's do it. And of course, we are doing the amazingly weird The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Um, critics kind of sum this one up pretty succinctly um, as violating every rule of storytelling and narrative structure in creating a self-contained world of its own. Definitely a self-contained world of its own. Definitely. Definitely a self-contained world of its own. Uh, this movie was directed by W.D. Richter, written by Earl Mac Rauch, produced by W.D. Richter and Neil Canton, starring Peter Weller as Dr. Buckaroo Banzai. And, of course, Peter Weller also played uh, RoboCop across all three of the original RoboCop movies. And uh, if you want to see a movie that's potentially weirder than this one, that stars Peter Weller also. Check out a movie called Naked Lunch. <laughs> Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch. It's based off of a book of the same name, and that book is where the band Steely Dan got their name from. Oh, interesting. Nice. It's a Steely Dan is a reference to a like a Steely vibrator. Whoa, you didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know that. <laughs> interesting. Uh, John Lithgow is Doctor Emilio Lizardo and Lord John Warfin. Ellen Barkin. 
as Penny Purdy or Peggy Bonsai. Peggy Bonsai. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Sidney Zweibel or New Jersey as we will call him. And Christopher Lloyd as John Big Boutet. It's Boutet. Big Boutet. Boutet. <laughs> and Clancy Brown, our buddy Clancy Brown from Starship Starship Troopers. Starship. Starship Troopers. <laughs> Definitely not Starship. <laughs> Starship Troopers. And famously, even more famously now, he's Mr. Krabs. Yeah. Um, as Rawhide. This movie was released August 10th, 1984, just a mere seven months after I was born. Uh, budget of $17 million. Its box office was $6.3 million. Wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> That's only $12.27 million in 2023. Um, you know, it's not too surprising that it did really badly because A... It's a very, very weird movie. Very weird. Honestly, not that great. But (laughs) it's great in different ways than actually being a really great movie. Uh, But when it hit theaters in 84, it was up against the likes of Star uh, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Ghostbusters, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So, no chance. No chance. No chance whatsoever. <laughs> no chance. A couple of the, two of the arguably biggest movies from the 80s, yeah. Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones yeah. and Temple of like it had no chance in Zero theaters. Chance. No chance in theaters. Um, it bears mentioning that there were uh, video games uh, released in conjunction with this movie in 84. Uh, on like the Apple IIe, the Atari 8-bit family, Commodore 64, the Commodore Plus, um, IBM PC, and the Compatibles and ZX Spectrum. So if you had any of those things and you had Buckaroo Banzai, let us know because I want to know what those games were like. Um, it was also released in conjunction with comic books. And in 2006, there was more comic books released. So if you want to actually get some more information on Buckaroo Banzai, go find those comic books. There was a canceled 1998 television series huh. and a canceled 2016 movie that was scrapped after director Kevin Smith, yes, that Kevin Smith, no way. walked away from the project. Huh. So there was, uh, you know, people love this movie. Yeah. They really, really do. So maybe there'll be more content. I saw other stuff on the internet that said in 2021 that there was going to be another television series produced off of this movie. But I saw that one place and mentioned nowhere else. So. Sure. Uh, I doubt it's legitimacy. Kevin Smith seems like the right guy probably to try to get this going. But then he walked so. away. He walked away. So, Cre- Cre- I think it was creative differences and problems getting funding for the movie in general while sure. he walked away. But I don't know. It would have been an interesting uh, sequel, you know, like nearly 30 years later. Yeah. So I don't know. That would have been pretty cool. Uh, more than 30, 32 years later. Well, Trav, shall we break it down? Let's break it down. Um, break it down. So, this movie opens up with that iconic Buckaroo Banzai double B logo. Um, Iconic in its own sort because it's like iconic to this movie and that's like it, (laughs) I guess. I love it. I love the way it looks. It's some cool graphic design if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a prologue of sorts in with an opening crawl, and it's not too dissimilar to uh, Star Wars, which came out, you know, just a few years before that. And with uh, another favorite of ours, The Running Man, right? Uh, opening crawls were all the rage after Star Wars did it in the oh, 1980s. Yeah. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai, born to an American mother and Japanese father, thus began life as he was destined to live it. Going in several directions at once, a brilliant neurosurgeon, the restless young man grew quickly dissatisfied with a life devoted solely to medicine. He roamed the planet studying martial arts and particle physics. 
collecting around him a most eccentric group of friends, those hard-rocking scientists, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. (laughs) (laughs) And now, with his astounding jet car ready for a bold assault on the dimensional barrier, Buckaroo Banzai faces the greatest challenge of his turbulent life. While high above the Earth, an alien spacecraft keeps a nervous watch on Team Banzai's every move. Fade to sandbags and a faint Let's just talk about that song for a second. Personally, I think it's one of the more catchy synth songs, pop songs you could ever hear. 100%. It just is an earworm beyond earworms. I doubt like anybody that watched this movie that did the homework is not going to be waking up with that in their mind every day. I know I have at least. And if you're like me having not seen it and you read that coming down at you in the beginning of the movie, you're like, what the hell am I in for? (laughs) (laughs) Even the description of what you're about to see is so all over the place. You're like, what is going on? He's a surgeon and martial arts expert. And there's aliens? And there's aliens. You know, and as someone like myself that's seen this movie a fair amount of times over the years, even I reading that crawl, I'm like, man, this movie, like, this is weirder than I remember. Definitely. (laughs) This is weirder than I remember. So Jamie Lee Curtis is in a couple of deleted scenes in this movie where she plays. So there's an alternative, an alternate opening to this movie. Oh, okay. Where instead of doing the crawl, they kind of do a like a a flashback to 1938 with Buckaroo Banzai and his parents. Okay. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis played his mother in a flashback. Uh, but the scene was deleted. The scene is available on the DVD if anybody happened to buy it besides myself. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's an optional prequel in the theatrical version. Uh, and, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis in the widescreen edition of the movie is visible in the jet car on a photo on the dashboard. Oh, okay. Uh, so we move to the jet car, and it is finally ready for launch. Fuel pressure, 1,800 toss. <laughs> but Banzai hasn't shown up yet. Do you think he's got cold feet? Uh, you better go see what the boss is doing. It's brain surgery. <laughs> it's brain surgery. <laughs> uh, may I have the curved Yarsago, please? It's not here, Dr. Banzai. Uh, let me have the straight one, then. See, this is the point for me where it started to look like a problem. You know, I wanted to sacrifice the pre-central vein in order to get some exposure, but because of this guy's normal variation, I got excited, and all of a sudden I didn't know whether I was looking at the pre-central vein or one of the internal cerebral veins, or the vein of Gallen, or the vascular vein of Rosenthal. So on my own, to me, at this point, I was ready to say, that's it, let's get out. (laughs) And at this point, watching, I'm like, he is just rambling to ramble. That's what it seems like. Like, we just want to hear Goldblum talk. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm all all for it. it. Yeah, I'm like, okay, here we go. We got some Goldblum early, I like it. You can check your anatomy all you want. Even though there may be normal variation when you get right down to it, this far inside the head, it all looks the same. (laughs) No, no, no. Don't tug on that. You never know what it might be attached to. You should know what it's attached to. You should know. Like (laughs) you said, this is your job, you know? You're the foremost neurosurgeon in the world as it's being presented. You should know what that's attached to. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So we're back in the desert, and things are still counting down. Things are all looking really official. Back at the OR, and Rawhide is giving us a lowdown on what's going on. 
You know your movie's already confusing when you have to write a part for another character to explain to the audience what's going on in the (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Dr. Banzai is using a laser to vaporize the pineal tumor without damaging the quadrigeminal plate. Subcutaneous microphones are going to allow the patient to transmit verbal instructions to his own brain. So the dude's going to have to instruct himself to do everyday tasks like brush my teeth or take a poopy. Take a poopy. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I, guessing. I, I really feel like that's not well thought out and no. probably isn't going to work well for that patient. <laughs> probably not. It is interesting, too, how they're like, uh, Rawhide's like, he's an Eskimo, so it's going to be more like, throw that spear. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> okay, then. Great. You know, personally, I love wacky science stuff as much as the next one, but this seems a little bit ill thought out. Definitely. Just in in general. Uh, In the OR and Bonsai offers New Jersey a job, which also entails being in the band. Can you sing? (laughs) I guess a little bit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) With the surgery done, Buckaroo hitches a ride on a helicopter and goes straight to the jet car. The 500 mile per hour jet car. That's like an F-350. I yeah. don't think that thing can go 500 miles an hour. I'm going to go with no. Even with a rocket strapped to yeah. it. No, 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 no. Uh, the support crew is uh, crossing the T's and dotting the lowercase J's. Uh, Buckaroo installs what will later be known as the oscillation overthruster into the vehicle with a few adjustments. Uh, things seem to be ready to go. And Buckaroo fires up that jet car and it's a go. Blast off. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo is calm and cool behind the wheel, and there's little to no like engine noise in the cab of that vehicle, which yeah. is just... I know they want you to hear all the little beeps and whistles and whatever and be able to hear Peter Weller's dialogue, but it would just be roaring. <laughs> Seriously. So loud. <laughs> That's all it would be. Uh, love his look. He's like a half ninja, half stunt driver. Uh, you can kind of think a little bit of like, so he's playing somebody that's half Japanese and half American, even though he looks very, he does not look like he's half Japanese right. at all. He's got the jet black hair, but that's about it. He's about a 90-10. He's about a 90-10. It feels a little bit like cultural appropriation, him putting that yeah. bandana on his head and stuff like <laughs> yep. that. I'm like, okay, I get it. He's playing somebody that is half Japanese, but Peter Weller just does not have that look about him he at doesn't. all. He doesn't. He yeah, doesn't. Uh, nearing the end of his run uh, on the salt flats and Buckaroo is going over 400 miles per hour at this point. And Rawhide is on the, the old comm with Buckaroo and has his own little countdown going. Three, two, one. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and then Buckaroo executes a 400 mile an hour turn to go off course. Yeah. Physically impossible. Physically impossible. <laughs> But he does it. He does it. He does it, you know. I mean, he is all of those things we talked about before. A rock star, a neurosurgeon, a particle physicist. like Not afraid of shit. Not afraid of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it turns out that this was his plan all along, you know. And uh, he's off course. uh, And the crew in the control center is scrambling, trying to figure out what's going on. Things have started to go haywire in the cab of the jet car. Uh, Buckaroo is being told to abort phase two, so a few people were in on the second part of this. It's not just going 500 miles an hour. Like, he's going to test out his oscillation overthrust. Yeah. Perfect Tommy wants everybody to be cool. She'll hold. (laughs) Uh, Buckaroo's speed just keeps on increasing. He breaks the sound barrier in that thing, which... The sound barrier is at 767 miles per hour at at, uh, sea level. Seriously. At least give us a sonic boom. There would have been a sonic boom, right? 
Oh, boy. Uh, the pleas of eject, though, fall on deaf ears in the cab of the jet car because it's way too loud for anybody to hear anything. <laughs> Uh, With that laser pointed out from the jet car uh, Straight to the mountain Buckaroo is running out of real estate And he passes right through the side of that mountain Right through Uh, Into some weird dimension Uh, Very 2001-esque Yeah, Yeah, very much so Uh, Buckaroo makes it through the other side And he jumps out of the car Uh, Some odd things made it through on the vehicle as well Some goop on the windshield And a weird interdimensional cockleburr of some kind Yeah uh, do you think in that scene, so he's getting radioed from the command center, like asking him to update stuff, and it's kind of going along with what he's actually looking at in the scene. Yeah. Uh, but he never answers them. There's ne- And they're like, uh, respond, buckaroo, and he just never answers them. True. Do you think that that audio was added in in post-production to like give us some idea of what he's actually doing? That would make more sense. Because he, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't he answer? Like, yeah. Even if he was just like, shut up, I'm shut up, you know, yeah. I got to figure this out or right, something. Right, right. You, I don't I'm a neurosurgeon, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even confirm that he's alive. So for yeah. all they know, he's dead. Still. Yeah, I, yep. I, I, oh, he's dead in that mountain yeah, somewhere. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, flash to an insane-looking John Lithgow. Insane-looking as, insane <laughs> as Doctor Emilio Lizardo. Uh, he is intently watching the news of Buckaroo's accomplishments. Uh, the Hong Kong Cavaliers are being uh, interviewed. And the, uh, the Oscillation Overthruster is finally being named for us. Uh, this seems to piss Lizardo right off. Right off. It just pisses him right off. <laughs> so he scrambles for a dirty paper bag under his bed and pulls out something that just looks like a bunch of wires. Yep. You know, what, are, what are you doing, Dr. Lizardo? <laughs> yeah. This is weird. What are you doing? I need doing? my AV cables. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Oh, the components just not working out on this set. <laughs> uh, he, looks, uh, he hooks them up to various outlets and finally one last diode on his tongue. And then he electrocutes himself so he can have a memory. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I know like the uh we're gonna find out in a little bit later that he is a uh, electroid trapped in a human's body, and like they eat electricity, and electricity is a re- so maybe that has something to do with it. I guess it's not really well explained. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> as a fresh wa- uh, watcher of this movie, you have no idea what the hell's no going on. You have no clue what's no going clue. on whatsoever. You'd have to like have the foresight of what happens later in the movie for this scene to make sense, basically. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, in this dream flashback, whatever, we find out that in 1938, he also invented an oscillation over thruster. Uh, Professor Hakita is there, and the link between Buckaroo and Lazardo is made right there. So that's who their link between the two of them is. It's Professor Hakita. Uh, being too hasty, Lazardo has less than a great uh, trip to a different dimension. Yeah. Uh, first off, he only makes it halfway through the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And then he comes back completely insane slash possessed, <laughs> and then immediately starts killing people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. John Lithgow, you can imagine, was unsure of playing this role. Yep. (laughs) He is quoted as saying, I've had roles where I came very close to going over the top. Uh, In Twilight Zone, I almost went over the top several times, but this role is completely over the top. It makes the role in Twilight Zone seem like a model of restraint. Uh, I do it in a wild, red fright wig and rotten false teeth, and a thick Italian accent. And he ends the quote with saying, it's just wild. Couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself, John Lithgow. It is totally over the top. Totally it is over, so crazy. Totally over Do you the think top. 
this craziness is what helped him get the role on Third Rock from the Sun. I can't say it didn't help. It definitely helped. There's some like. parallels between those two characters, yeah, there don't are. you think? Yeah. I think so. I really love that show. That's definitely an underrated show. It's very good. That was uh, must-see TV for me when I was growing up. I oh, love yeah. that show. Um, so with that flashback over, uh, Lazardo is brought to a care package. Uh, and he tells the orderly that he's uh, going home tomorrow with his oscillation over thruster that he built in an insane asylum. You'd think if you saw something like that of a criminally insane murderer in his room that you'd probably confiscate that from him. But you'd probably take that. You'd probably, <laughs> probably say I'm going to need that. <laughs> but And then at another point, oscillation over thrusters must be very easy to make. <laughs> yeah, very easy. <laughs> Well, anyways, the orderly laughs his way out of the room. Laugh while you can, monkey boy. You got to do it in your best bad Italian accent. Laugh while you can, a monkey boy. Laugh while you can, a monkey boy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, speaking of that terrible Italian accent, uh, John Lithgow's dialect coach was a man named Roberta Terminelli, Roberto Terminelli, uh, who was actually a tailor on the 20th Century Fox lot with a heavy Italian accent. Nice. John had Roberto speak his lines from the script into a tape recorder, and he used that to practice the accent. And then, in turn, John got uh, Roberto a credit in the movie as a dialect coach for his help. Nice. Way to go, John. That's pretty cool. That's probably pretty got awesome. him a probably, probably got him a pretty good paycheck yeah, for that probably as well. Like tripled his pay then. at least, right? Uh, back with Professor Hikita, uh, Buckaroo, and the rest of the Cavaliers. Uh, they're in a club getting ready for a show because, you know, they're also a band. So yeah, you know, because obviously. Going from <laughs> traveling into a different dimension to, we're playing a club show tonight, guys. Nothing <laughs> whatsoever to this point in the movie has led you to believe any of them would be in a band nope. or musically talented. And like a really, really popular a band. A really popular band. <laughs> That's playing in a, a very small club as well, which yeah. is kind of weird, but he's supposed to be a mega star i guess the whole the whole idea of like mega like stadium shows were still probably fairly uncommon in 1984 True. yeah there's probably only a few bands in the world that could pull it off at that time yeah but buckaroo should have been one of them yeah <laughs> and they're still in the club they're still working hard on figuring out what exactly happened to buckaroo when he passed through the mountain uh that sleazy club owner already doesn't care who they are he just wants them to play. Uh, they're in his. They're in when they're in his club. They're just another act. Just another act. He this wants, is New Jersey. <laughs> he wants some music, uh, but that suit though. Like, what is up with that giant suit that he's wearing? It's, <laughs> it's pretty weird. <laughs> you want it, Artie? You got it. And the Hong Kong Cavaliers hit the stage. There's something that feels mildly racist about saying Hong Kong Cavaliers. Doesn't it? It seems that way. To Hong me. Kong is a city. Cavaliers are a thing. Yeah. But when you put them together in a movie full of white people, <laughs> yeah. it feels somewhat racist. It's okay because Buckaroo is supposedly half, half Japanese. Japanese. I mean, America was obsessed with Asian culture in the eighties, seventies, yeah. and eighties. But still, something seems a little off seems every time I say. A little it. off <laughs> every time I say. Uh, in uh, what could quite possibly be one of the most 80s things ever put the celluloid, they hit the stage, right? I mean, yep. just unbelievable. It's the one and only Buckaroo Banzai. 
I mean, they got dual sax. That one dude's playing two saxophones at the same time at one point. The electric drums, love that. Three lead guitars. And don't forget about Buckaroo's mini trumpet that he pulls out from behind his back. Just wow. (laughs) Just the mini (laughs) trumpet. Mini trumpet, just wow. I mean, uh, the song is a little catchy. I would like to have heard the whole thing completely through at some point. I got to get the soundtrack, I guess, (laughs) for that. Um, So... Peter Weller did not know how to play guitar. He was just taught enough on set uh, to like basically put his fingers in the right place to make it look good on film. Right. It looks pretty good on film. It looks film. pretty good. If you pay really close attention, you can tell his strumming is not what the what the guitar is making the noise for. But it looks pretty good. He but does a pretty good job. They at least did the good part of having him put his hands in the right spot. Because usually were. it's super obvious that they're not right. playing it. But I actually said to you, it looks like he's playing it. Yeah. And you had to tell me, nope. I don't know what it's called. He even when he makes that run up the neck with his finger, it's even like on the right right, right yeah. point of the song. So way to go, Peter Weller. Way to go, Peter. Way to go, Peter. Uh, but then out of nowhere, Buckaroo abruptly stops the show because he hears somebody crying over the music. Is someone out there not having a good time? And he delivers that with such like dead. Like, he's so deadpan when yeah. he delivers it. Is somebody crying out there in the darkness? It's a lonely woman. Can someone get can? I almost did it like, can someone, someone get her a mic? <laughs> can someone get her a mic? And then Perfect Tommy says, are you serious? <laughs> no one gets her that mic. She no never gets, gets a that microphone. Mic. No, they spotlight her. <laughs> What's your name? Who cares? I care. Penny. Did you say Peggy? No, Penny Pretty. <laughs> Did you say Peggy? <laughs> you said Peggy. Did you say Peggy? <laughs> uh, she's down on her luck. She couldn't even pawn her clothing. Like, yeah, couldn't pawn your clothing. Couldn't pawn your clothing. Uh, and she lost a room at the Y. That's really bad. <laughs> You're down to your last nickel. What the hell are you doing here drinking? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the crowd makes fun of her. Oh, I get her a violin. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo is saddened by the young Penny Pretty and asks the audience to not be mean. Hey, don't be mean. Don't be mean. Yeah. <laughs> because remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Whoa. That's some sage advice. That's some deep, <laughs> deep advice. So naturally, Buckaroo sings a song for Peggy. <laughs> for Peggy, yeah, you know. Weller can kind of sing, can he? Yeah, he, he can. I think that was him singing. It sounded like his voice. Weller can kind of sing. Yeah. It's a great ballad. It's a really in tone with like a cheesy 80s poppy ballad type yeah. of thing. Uh, so, you know. It's the perfect time for Peggy to commit suicide. Like, whoa, didn't see that coming. No, I mean, That just got way darker. If you had public suicide on your bingo card for this movie, congratulations, (laughs) because nobody sees that coming Nobody sees that coming. But she gets bumped. Uh, She misses her head with the gunshot. And then uh, the band... After the gunshot, they all pull out their gu- their guns and they're standing around uh, like Charlie's Angels, just yeah. walking back and forth, going back and forth on the stage. And how the drummer pulls an Uzi out of nowhere, he's just like, "I'm ready to go!" Yeah, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Absolutely love that stuff. Uh, Peggy is taken out of the club and end scene. <laughs> so random. <laughs> Uh, back with Lazardo in the asylum, and he's escaping. He's going into Planet 10. Not the moon, not the moon. He's not going to the moon. But first, a phone call. He wants to talk to Mr. John Big Booty at Yo-Yo Dine. Uh, tell him it's John. Tell him, how do you do in a time? Uh, tell him it's a John Wolfen calling. Tell him it's a John Wolfen. I, I have to like do it with my hand to be. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't use the hand <laughs> action, it's Arnold. <laughs> so yeah. you need the hand to get out of there. <laughs> so weird. Uh, tell him it's John Wolfen. <laughs> <laughs> he probably should have just like 
uh, killed that guard a long time ago and walked out of there. Probably right? he killed him with like no trouble. Whatsoever. No trouble whatsoever. <laughs> no. But he needed the supplies that they had there to I build guess. this. Yeah, I so. guess. yeah. There you go. That's what he needed. <laughs> yeah, he had to wait. Uh, Warfin wants Big Booty to meet him at the factory, but he has to first get Buckaroo's oscillation over Thruster, and so uh, they need to kidnap. They need to kidnap Akita. Uh, uh, with the phone call over, a Worfin walks out of the asylum and zaps the Buckaroo Banzai arcade game on his way out. Yep. I think that's kind of funny. That that's kind of funny. I like that a lot. Um, I wonder if that's a real arcade game. It wouldn't surprise me if it actually was a real arcade game because yeah. I mean, a lot of those Atari stuff was direct ports from arcade stuff. It doesn't mm-hmm. didn't say in that list of games that I read off earlier that it was an arcade, but you never know. So now it seems like a, a little bit of a good time to take a break and talk about the origins of this movie. What do you think? Yeah. So the origins of this film came in 1974 when W.D. Richter was introduced to the writings of Earl Mac Rauch. Uh, Richter read Rauch's novel Dirty Pictures from the Prom, and the duo started writing letters to each other. After several years, Rauch met Richter in L.A., uh, working as a screenwriter. Uh, when Rauch first explained his idea for a character named Buckaroo Bandy, Bandy uh, Richter and his wife paid the writer $1,500 to develop his vision inspired by all those out-and-out Press the accelerator to the floor, nonstop kung fu movies of the early 70s. So that's kind of what they were going for. And I can kind of see that now that it's laid out there for you, right? Uh, Rauch uh, started uh, multiple screenplays featuring Banzai and would abandon each one after only getting about 30 pages into it. So that doesn't bode very well for the movie to begin with, if you ask me, that you just can't figure out what this story should be. Over those early years, the writer compiled dozens of scripts that ended that way only about 30 pages in. Uh, with uh, titles like Find the Jet Car, Said the President, and The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars. All of those are terrible movie names. They're all horrible. <laughs> so horrible. Uh, Richter said it never made its way to uh, he, Richter said it never made its way to a finished script as Rauch would continue writing and writing and writing. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai was paused when Richter began working on a screenplay for a Martin Scorsese film called New York, New York. Uh, finally, in 1980, Richter met with producers Frank Marshall and Neil Canton. Canton and Richter formed their own production company to make Buckaroo Banzai their first film. Uh, Rauch then wrote a 60-page script called Lepers from Saturn, which they shopped around. Nobody was willing to take a risk on such a strange project. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> Eventually, the script made, it way to, made its way to MGM UA, who signed Richter and Rauch to, uh, to a deal within 24 hours. Over the next 18 months, Saturn became Planet 10, and the Lepers became Electroids. Uh, the 1980 Writers Guild of America strike jeopardized the production. MGM chief David Begelman left the studio and took Buckaroo Banzai with him to 20th Century Fox, where they were greenlit with a $12 million budget. Uh, three drafts later, the shooting script was the shooting script was ready and casting began. That's a pretty interesting little story. Yeah, um, I'm surprised it got made. I am too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, MGM chief David Begelman must have really liked it for some reason to take it with him to another studio. Yeah. Or maybe he just thought, I've already invested too much time into this. Let's get this thing made. Right. Could <laughs> be knows? that. Who knows? Uh, so we're back on the road now with the Hong Kong Cavaliers on their tour bus, uh, which is also a mobile headquarters for them. Uh, Perfect Tommy and Reno are talking about the crazy woman from the club. Uh, she looked just like Buckaroo's dead ex. Dead? 
ex? Is, is she dead? I, I know the ex. Is it dead? Did I they mean, leave him? He in? doesn't ever say. He just says something like it's not a thing anymore. Yeah. When he says, "You looked like my ex-wife, but so, she's not here." Yeah, he does say later in the movie that. He that she his ex is the queen of Denmark, right? Or queen of the Netherlands. Netherlands. And yeah. apparently, if they're they're both from Oklahoma, so I would assume with that information, maybe she just got married to the king of the Netherlands over Buckaroo Banzai. Right and now, she's the queen of the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah, great. Which would be a fairly famous person. I don't know. Whatever. Little far fetched. <laughs> so is this movie. <laughs> But yes, she looks just like Buckaroo's dead ex or the new queen of the Netherlands. Pictures don't lie. <laughs> That's how Reno met his first wife. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that too. What? what? <laughs> All right, moving uh, on. Oh boy. Buckaroo finds out that Warfin slash Lizardo has escaped. Uh, was this the guy on t- was this guy on TV or something? No, you're thinking of Mr. Wizard. Uh, this guy's a top scientist, Doomcough. So was Mr. Wizard. Do you remember <laughs> Mr. Wizard at all? No. I no, don't. you don't. So it was on in reruns on Nickelodeon very early in the morning. And when I was, I'm pretty, it, like, it was on black and white time of television, Mr. Wizard was. And he was a dude that would do science for kids with the help of kids. And uh, I remember watching it very early in the morning on Nickelodeon in the very early 90s. And I distinctly remember. Uh, Mr. Wizard doing science and also being kind of an ass to the kids on the show. He's <laughs> yeah. kind of mean. Uh, if you've never seen Mr. Wizard, go check it out. I'm sure it doesn't hold up at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Doomkopf translates to dumbhead. Does it? In German. I have yeah. no idea. That would so make I sense. Say Scheisskopf. Shit <laughs> Uh, Lazardo is actually a raging lunatic. That's what he is. Uh, yeah, he fits the bill. <laughs> uh, enter New Jersey outside of the New Brunswick police station. Do you love the boombox? I love it. Do you love the chaps? <laughs> love them. Do you love the hat? Love it. <laughs> Give me any outfit on Jeff Goldblum, but especially a New Jersey cowboy, and I'm all for it. Uh, I love that he's so unapologetic for his look because uh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum is the best. Obviously. <laughs> Buckaroo! Uh, How is the patient? Oh, fine. He's doing fine. Thank you. But more importantly, congratulations. You drove through a mountain. I did. (laughs) You drove right through a mountain the other day. You did it right. You left me the operation. You haven't even said anything about it. You didn't even mention that you were going to do it. (laughs) That's it. Come on, He's almost offended. (laughs) We were working on a brain together, and you didn't tell me you were going to drive through a mountain? (laughs) What the hell's the matter with you, man? Yeah, was he supposed to, excuse me, I have to go drive through a mountain. Yeah, don't tug on that. We don't know what that's connected to. By the way, I'm going to go drive through a mountain. <laughs> uh... I didn't know when a good time to tell you was. So. This was as good as any, I guess. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo heads into the police station. Uh, to look around, and uh, New Jersey awkwardly interacts with Tommy and Reno, uh, getting their names wrong. Yep, after saying he's a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, Pico's in Tibet. He's <laughs> neither one of us. Uh, at the lockup inside the police station Buckaroo and with Buckaroo and Tommy, uh, Buckaroo is there basically because he wants to see Penny again and because she looks like his ex. Uh, she's not dead like we just talked about. But her and Penny bear a very striking resemblance. Was she very beautiful? She was. Queen of the Netherlands. 
<laughs> so like she was beautiful or she was queen of the Netherlands. Yeah. She is currently the queen of them. Like she was beautiful. Queen of the Netherlands. Like, <laughs> yeah. just, like, just... Does that mean you're beautiful because you're the queen? Or is he saying two separate facts that you need to know about his ex? I... Or is he just answering her question and then just saying, queen, queen of the Netherlands. Queen of the Netherlands. What about her? <laughs> what about it? I don't know. I just felt like saying I it. don't know. Just <laughs> been a while since we've talked about her. We've never talked about her. We find out that Penny is adopted. And uh, she has always thought that there was another piece of herself out there. Mm. <laughs> of course, if it was a snake, it would have bit me. Another you. So they're twins. That's really weird. And he's infatuated with her because they're twins. Yeah. Okay. Let her out. <laughs> but she's a killer. No, she's not. And give her your coat. Why do I have to do that? <laughs> because you're perfect. He's kind of got you there, He's Tommy. He's got you there. <laughs> At the press conference, Tommy's wearing a new suit, yep. which I appreciate his costume changes. Uh, Buckaroo is channeling his inner Sally Jesse Raphael with those red glasses. <laughs> yeah. And there's a little bit of a story with those red glasses, if you can believe it or not. Let's hear it. So studio executives did not like Buckaroo wearing those red glasses for reasons who knows? Who knows? <laughs> the director was called into an office where there was a conflict over it. Uh, when asked how many more times the director planned to use them, he just offhandedly said twice. Uh, he was told, okay, but not a fourth. So I don't know why it went to in between. <laughs> All right, just don't do it four times. Three's so <laughs> okay. I'll be a little pissed. But if you do four, this project's over. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there was an assistant on set watching to make sure and reported any time the glasses were used with the threat of shutting the film down. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god at one point executives were confused as to how many times were allowed and prepared were prepared to shut down the production before the office clerk assured them he agreed to no more than four yikes dude hated some red glasses yeah <laughs> he definitely had some huge hatred for red glasses uh, but at that press conference buckaroo is there basically to explain himself to reporters and the military it looks like and the disguised electroids that are there yeah uh buckaroo talks about contacting aliens in a different dimension and we get to see uh some of those aliens in their spaceship real quickly uh, there's a great shot of them walking around on all surfaces in the ship as it's spinning, which I appreciate. I yeah. thought it was pretty cool. Uh, plus, like any good 80s sci-fi, there's repurposed hockey equipment for space clothing. <laughs> That's just what they do. Yeah. Those hockey gloves that one of those characters is wearing, I'm just like, you're just wearing giant hockey gloves. Come on. <laughs> Uh, they're all listening to Buckaroo uh, in the press conference, and Buckaroo lays out the science of the overthruster. The oscillation overthruster allows you to go into the space between the molecules that make up this dimension. Uh, it reveals a different dimension. I mean, sure, I guess that's how it works. Whatever, we'll go with it. Uh, Penny helps us understand the inner workings of the overthruster. Oh, oh, I get it. What you're saying is that oppositely charged particles collide and blow each other up in a burst of energy, like a tiny big bang, like a, 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 a big baby bang. Thanks, Penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that cleared stuff up. Uh, Buckaroo reveals the barnacle of sorts that he pulled from the jet car uh, after passing through the mountain to gasps. <gasps> they can't believe it. 
Buckaroo is whisked away because of a call from the president. The president of of who? (laughs) The president of the United States, Buckaroo. (laughs) But before Buckaroo leaves, Penny reminds him of the thruster. Uh, Dr. Bonsai, you you forgot your thruster. Why don't you hold on to it for a while? Ooh, Do you think he means his penis? I think so. <laughs> that's the way I took it. That's the way I took <laughs> so it. if you're not supposed to think that, that's, uh, whoops. <laughs> completely, they meant something completely different, but everybody thinks penis now. Yep. <laughs> Buckaroo makes it to the payphone, phone booths, payphones, all over these 80s and 90s movies, and I just, it makes me pine for a day where you'd walk around and there'd be phone booths everywhere. Yeah. Most of the time they'd be covered in graffiti and smell like piss, but I still <laughs> miss a good phone booth. Definitely. <laughs> uh, uh, there's interference on the line. Uh, it isn't the president. It's the Lectroids, and they zap him through the phone. Uh, Buckaroo is imbued with some knowledge. Uh, he falls out of the, well, more like ejects himself out of the phone booth and furiously starts scribbling on something onto his palm and screaming, Conference room! Conference room! Man, he really wants to get to that conference room. Uh, everything is going to plan for the lectro- Lectoids, Lectroids up in space. Uh, they decide to launch a thermal pod. Uh, back to the conference room, and the Electroids are living among us, and it's time they are exposed. Evil, pure and simple, from the eighth dimension, get him! <laughs> He's so, so angry at those uh, Electroids. Uh, Buckaroo chases the two Electroids from the conference. Uh, Christopher Lloyd abducts Hakita. Uh, Penny alertly grabs the overthruster and Reno gets shot. Then he's done. He's just on the ground after he got shot. Yep. And Christopher Lloyd has a panty on his face. Yeah. Like, man, that is just the weirdest looking face covering ever. And it's only half his face. It's not doing anything. It's super weird. It's not doing anything. Uh, the electroids are on the run uh, through the bowels of the hotel conference center. Uh, and Buckaroo is hot on their trail. Uh, the Harley Davidson tie-in is kind of odd, if you ask me. But yeah. you've got to get that production money. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> uh, the electroids escape to a van and Buckaroo uh, gets on a Harley. Uh, well, it's kind of like a little tiny baby Harley. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not really like a Harley Harley. Uh, plus, Peter Weller lo- head looks humongous as he runs up that slope to get on his chopper. Did you notice that? How giant his head looks in that scene? <laughs> I, I, I was just like, dude, what's up with your head? It's enormous. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You can't ride that. It's Buckaroo Banzai. So it's okay. It's weird because that same dude delivers both those lines. Like, he's... Yeah. Saying it's Buckaroo Banzai to himself. Yeah. That would have been internal dialogue. Yeah. That would have definitely been internal. It's Buckaroo Banzai. At least he would have whispered. Yeah, or it's one or the other. You you don't say them back to back. No. Uh, The Electroids peel out in their van and Buckaroo gives chase. Uh, Weller's little loop on the motorcycle after they drive out of that tunnel is only there to show that he can ride a motorcycle. Like, I don't know. He pulls his tie out for. I don't understand that at all. Uh, Next, we run into a couple of hunters. Uh, There's some real hicks, right? They see the thermopod crash to Earth after they shoot at it because when you don't know what something is, just start firing guns at it. That's what I do. I know. I mean, that's what I do, too. Personally. This is is America. This is America. Just shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After they do shoot at it, uh, they thought it was a big purple dinosaur or something like that. Uh, In the van with the electroids from the con. Conference, uh, they pick up the thermopods distress beacon. But why is it on Earth? Well, it's time to whip a shitty because they just <laughs> whip that thing around. That van just keeps on peeling out over yeah. and over and over, which is always fun. Uh, they run Buckaroo off the road and almost run themselves off the road in yeah. the process. Uh, and now it's night. <laughs> yeah. Now, now it's, it's night. Now it's night. Now it's night. Hard cut. <laughs> 
And we're back with the hunters. Uh, they see something in the tree. Throw something at it. It's a giant alien ball complete with aliens that falls out of that tree. Yeah. How was it any question that there was something in the tree? Yeah. The pond is huge. It's probably larger than the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two of the three aliens emerge from the pod. The first one dies, and then the second one escapes with a package of some mysterious package. It made me think of the Simpsons and the pink donut boxes that are always amongst the Simpsons. I mean, they call it a cake box later on in the movie, but that's what I thought of it. Uh, The two hunters also find a Buckaroo Banzai comic uh, next to the dead Lectroid. It's the latest issue. Issue. Uh, so they came to Earth to find Buckaroo, right? Based yep. on a comic? Yeah. Is that the reason why, based on a comic? Or did they have the knowledge of him being like this jack-of-all-trades superhero type person? I don't know. I'm Un- sure. Unclear. He's probably por- portrayed as that in the comic as well. True. But still, like, based, like, it would have been really funny if they would have gotten to Earth and realized that Buckaroo Banzai is a completely fictional character that yeah. lives in a comic or something like that. Right. Oh, okay. These aren't facts. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo survived the crash, and now he's making uh, contact with Rawhide. Uh, Buckaroo turned on his homing beacon so the Cavaliers can find him. Uh, Rawhide is told to investigate Yo-Yo Dine. Uh, we move back to the swamp quickly. Uh, the police are there, and John Big Booty and his cronies are also there. Uh, they get there to recover the crashed craft and the electroids that are electroids. I keep saying that we're electroids that were inside uh, in the tour bus now. And Rawhide is given the orders. So he must be like the number two. It kind of feels like perfect. Tommy's the number two. But yeah, Rawhide's got a lot of responsibility. Uh, they're activating their research, their reserve forces, the blue blazers. And the only person that answers is a kid and his dad. That's yeah. it. Nobody else answers is the no. kid and his dad. Uh, the kid's name is Scooter. What a great 80s name. Scooter. Scooter. Scooter, Scooter Lindley. Uh, what's with the double decker couches at the gas station that Scooter's dad owns? Did you they have couches stacked on top? What's with the double decker couches? So you've seen the Lego movie, right? The original Lego movie. Nope, OK, so uh, Emmett. He is like trying to become a master builder in there and the master builders can like make all types of crazy stuff. And the first thing that Emmett makes is a double decker couch. So I'm wondering if that is a reference to Buckaroo Banzai from the Lego movie because it's a double decker, double decker couches. Who knew? We got double decker couches and then later we got super tall table and chairs with TVs on the floor. (laughs) We got that. We got that later. That's for sure. Uh, what he uh, Scooter tells his father that Buckaroo's in trouble, so they're gonna start doing their thing. Uh, Buckaroo finds Akita in the crate, uh, in a crate uh, in the Yoyodyne van, uh, shocking him in the process because he's become ionized. Yep. Uh, he can see electroids for who they really are because of it. Aliens from the eighth dimension. I can see them now. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo shows Akita the equation he wrote on his hand that would have been sweated off m- hours ago, but for sure. that's all right. It's some sort of electrochemical message that allows Buckaroo to see who they really are. And they are electroids from Planet 10 by way of the eighth dimension. Mention. Uh, back at the swamp, uh, and the cop is giving Big Booty a hard time and not wanting them to do anything with the pod. Uh, Big Booty and his cronies, they are determined to break it down. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we go back to Buckaroo and Hakita and the formula. 
Uh, Buckaroo gives Hakita the formula by the old lick and stick method. Yeah. So he licks the palm, slaps down on his high on his forehead. Um, if you were of a certain age in the late 80s or eight, late 90s, early 2000s, that was a really good way to get into a bar underage. What's <laughs> the lick and stick? Because they used to stamp your hand when you'd go out so you can come back in. And then you just lick it, stamp it on somebody else, and then boom, there you go. You're getting in the bar underage. Nice. I never did that. I never did that. Never did that. Never did that. <laughs> uh, the Cavaliers show up to the bunkhouse to get some work done And Penny is separated from the group Because, you know, she's a woman Well, obviously <laughs> More like she's a stranger I think that's what it's more like Back at the swamp again You know, maybe if they spent less time flashing from location to location They could finish out a single scene in this movie Maybe that would maybe. work <laughs> Maybe uh, And Big Booty and his friends are trying to break into the thermopod at this, at this point By hitting it with a stick They should be well familiar with with the technology that wouldn't understand that hitting it with a stick is not going to do anything. It just crashed from the sky and survived it. Hitting it with a stick is not going to do anything. So they should be obvious. <laughs> so they go get a crowbar instead. That might have better luck, uh, I guess. I mean, better than a stick. <laughs> better than a stick. Uh, but then the electroid John Kent in the pod is given the order to initiate the self-destruct. Uh, John Voluk is dead. He fell on his head. But perhaps John Parker will get through with our message to Buckaroo Banzai. And so he blows it up. Our cop friend tries to stop Big Booty and crew, but pays for his life with it. He pays with <laughs> it for his life. And Buckaroo is found by John O'Connor. Uh, and John O'Connor gets a kick to the dick. Kick to the dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious that you're to believe this guy is a martial arts master. And the first time you see it in action, he kicks him in the dick. Yeah, and he doesn't even kick him like it doesn't even look athletic or like no. he's a trained fighter in any nope. way. He looks like a fourth grader kicking somebody <laughs> yeah. else in the junk. That's what he looks like. Um, Buckaroo runs away as the pod exploses. Exploses? Exploses? <laughs> Buckaroo <laughs> runs away as the pod explodes. Then and uh, then he is nearly run down by John Gomez in the truck. There is zero reason why he wasn't run over. Zero reason. He's running at a leisurely pace. The dude's in a truck. Run his ass over run and kill him. Run his ass over. And why is Buckaroo <laughs> not going off to the side of the road? What the <laughs> hell are you doing? Run to the side, you dummy. As, and he's a neurosurgeon. Yeah, he's really smart. But he gets saved by Scooter and his dad from the helicopter. He grabs that grabs that uh, suspended rope ladder on yep. the run and gets Starts out of there. Starts climbing. Starts climbing, man. Starts climbing. Got, got another entry in the grip strength group. <laughs> hey, there you go. I didn't even think of it. Yeah, that's probably a top 20 grip strength. That's a top that's 20. A 20. We're, we're not top 10, but that's men it's worth mentioning. Worth mentioning. <laughs> Hakita finally makes it to the bunkhouse, and the gang is all there, and New Jersey is playing the main theme of our movie on the piano. I like that a lot. And then he gets frustrated with his ability to play the piano and quits. Yeah. All right. You know. Uh, time for some 80s-style hacking. <laughs> Why don't you use a G cipher? <laughs> okay, sure. And he goes, he types in G cipher, command, enter. <laughs> okay. This is like Jurassic Park hacking. <laughs> kind of. It works, so it works. I, that's all that matters. Uh, so what they're using when Perfect Tommy puts that handset into what looks like like some rubber suction cups, Yeah, that's called an uh, acoustic coupler for those out there that don't know. Uh, it's an interfacing device for coupling electric signals by acoustic means, usually in and out of a telephone. Okay. The link is achieved through converting electrical signals from the phone uh, to sound 
and then reconverting them into electrical signals again. So you have the electrical signals. It goes through the handset and turns it into sound, sends that over the phone lines, and then on the other end, another handset in electrical cu- in an acoustic coupler receives those sounds, converts them back into electric signals, and then the computer uses that information. So if you know what a dial-up modem sounds like, it's those type of sounds that it's transmitting. Oh, sure. So when you would hear that, that is the modem, like in the late 90s, that is the modem doing like acoustic coupler type stuff converting sound into electrical interesting that's, that's right? pretty cool that's pretty cool so all those out there when you ever see that in a movie they're accessing 80s internet yep. which isn't really the internet it's just kind of a thing that connected computers over phone lines right right I know. interesting enough so i thought we'd talk about it for a second uh they make it into the yo-yo dine data net uh john parker uh the electroid that escaped from the pod makes it to the bunkhouse Hey, nice jacket, man. What's in the big pink box? <laughs> Why even have those lines in the movie? <laughs> Just some random... So weird. <laughs> so weird. Well, John Parker wants to get a package to Buckaroo Banzai, uh, and he does. Uh, Pinky Carruthers takes it from him. That's a terrible name, Pinky Carruthers. Yep. Terrible name. Uh, but John uh, Parker does not actually make it into the compound to see Buckaroo Banzai quite yet. Uh, back with the Cavaliers inside the house, and they have found some weird stuff. A whole bunch of dudes that all have the same first name, John, and the last name of a whole bunch of random stuff, like <laughs> Smallberries, <laughs> and more common ones, like John Little John. John Little John. This <laughs> is very, very weird. Uh, there's a few problems, though, with all these names. They all applied for Social Security numbers at the same time in the same city, Grover's Mill, New Jersey, on 11 no ages, no places of birth. Seems unbelievable. It's got to be a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but why is it Gro- why is Grover's Mill so familiar? Because of War of the Worlds. That's where Orson Welles' War of the Worlds takes place. Uh, the guy from the old wine commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and then they surmise that War of the Worlds wasn't actually in a ho- wasn't actually a hoax. So when they refer to Orson Welles as the guy from the old wine commercials, this is a reference to Welles' popular television commercials in the 1970s for Paul Mason's Winery, uh, where he used the slogan, We will sell no wine before it's time. <laughs> in the early 80s, Welles was fired from the advertising campaign after he stated on a U.S. talk show that he never drank the company's wine. So he's like, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You gotta drink. Uh, the TV show The Critic makes fun of those commercials. Have you seen The Critic? No. Okay. So it's a, uh, uh, man, what's the guy's name? John Lovett's voiced oh, nice. cartoon that was on uh, after the Simpsons on Fox in the 90s. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good, we'll get to it eventually. That's a show that I really like. Yeah. And they have Orson Welles doing a uh, commercial for frozen peas. And he goes, country time green peas, full of country goodness and green penis. <laughs> like that's green penis. Uh, Big Booty makes it to Buckaroo's compound uh, at night, but it looks like daytime. I hate when movies do that nighttime filter on stuff. Yep. It just pulls me out of it completely. Definitely. Um, I don't remember it being so egregiously obvious that it's no longer nighttime. When I used to watch it on VHS, probably because the VHS I used to watch it on when I would rent it had been watched 
300 times right, and the picture right. quality was garbage and dark and grainy so probably was a little bit more believable but i hate when they do that uh they jump the uh, big booty and his two buddies they jump over the wall into the compound like it was nothing yeah uh john parker witnesses this and was like we can do that. <laughs> so he walks over to the wall and jumps over as well. Uh, did you catch John Big Booty's advice to his friends after they jumped over the wall? Uh. Uh-uh. He goes, be sneaky. Be sneaky. <laughs> you should try that. Great advice. <laughs> Uh, John Connor, not John Connor, uh, John Parker uh, gets caught by security instantly, though. Instantly. Yeah. Uh, we move over to the garage at the compound with the jet car. Uh, Big Booty uses a distraction to draw the mechanic out and then spits something at the dude, killing him. Yeah, yeah. Not only killing him, but sending him across the room, killing across him. Across the room. We find out in a little bit what he actually spits at them, but it's the spitting thing is weird. Why not just give him a little gun? Yeah. Just give him a little gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buckaroo finally arrives to the compound in the helicopter, and uh, Big Booty and friends break into the jet car looking for the overthruster. Uh, John Connor, break into the car. But why me, Big Booty? (laughs) It's because it might be booby-trapped. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) He breaks into the car. Uh, There is no overthruster. Uh, Buckaroo and the Lindleys are in the compound, and they run into Reno and the gang. The Cavaliers know about the Lectroids, uh, but how do they know that? It's all on the yellow record, which looks way more orange than yellow, but it's the yellow record. Yeah. Upstairs, we get to see what that yellow record is all about. Uh, it was in the box that John Parker brought to give to Buckaroo Bonsai. Uh, they turn the lights off, and they hand out special glasses. Your budget is showing. Definitely showing. Definitely, they might as well just grab the crappy red and blue 3D glasses that they. A column of light appears from the device and uh, resolves into an image of John M. Dahl, a dreadlocked woman in a silver uniform. Salutations, great Buckaroo Banzai. I am John M. Dahl from Planet Ten. A common grave danger confronts both our worlds. After a bloody reign of terror, the hated leader of our military caste, the self-proclaimed Lord John Warfen, a bloodthirsty butcher as evil as your Hitler, was overthrown by freedom-loving, fort-loving forces. Tried and condemned along with several hundred of his followers to spend eternity in the formless void of the eighth dimension. Death was deemed too good for them. Now you, Buckaroo Banzai, have unintentionally helped John Warfin with your oscillation overthruster. For your intelligence warns us he intends to steal your overthruster. He, if he should attempt this, we will have no choice but to disrupt worldwide electronic communications and fire a particle beam weapon from your airspace to Smolensk in, this un- in the Union of the Soviet Socialist Republics. Stop John Warfin before the sun set. If you fail, we will be forced to help you destroy yourselves. So fix this mess or you're all going to die after yeah. we start World War Three. Yeah. <laughs> Not much of an option for Buckaroo and the gang, is there? Not really. Uh, so it's time to head to Yo-Yo Dine, but first the gang needs to gear up. So Buckaroo heads to the bathroom and busts Penny after taking a bath. He's looking for his guns in the bathroom. Yeah. He doesn't know where anything is. Why do you keep your guns in the bathroom? Penny out of nowhere just says, I was just taking a bath. Ah, 
just so weird. So if you're going to go perform a musical gig, you bring all your guns and your Uzis. <laughs> but otherwise, you keep them in the bathroom. Keep them in the bathroom, right? Yeah. Toss in a little bit of a love story, that weird, weird love story. They confirm twins separated at birth. So Buckaroo has interest in Penny because she's a twin. That's it. That's it. He looks like her. She looks like her. She looks like his ex. Yeah. There's no other similarities at this point. So he's a very superficial man, apparently. apparently. He just is all about the looks, and yeah. that's it. He's not even that hot. Yeah. You can be a big, <laughs> dull dud, but you look like my ex, so... Let's get and, it on. And she left me to be the queen of the Netherlands. So. <laughs> uh, before they can get to Yo-Yo Dine, Big Booty and his friends are now running amok in the compound, killing a scientist with a weird bug robot doohickey. Yep. So that's what he ends up spitting at, people, is those things... Does his body produce them? Does he just eat a bunch? Does he got a special like <laughs> compartment? I don't know. I just give me a little bit. I I don't need any more explanation. I'm just gonna go with it. Uh, and they're looking for the overthruster everywhere. Everyone is on the lookout for the electroids, and Perfect Tommy gives New Jersey some sound advice. Cowboy, hold your gun in front of you, man. <laughs> He's like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Buckaroo runs across a flaming file cabinet and kicks it shut, quite possibly causing the fire to spread faster. Definitely. <laughs> then he finds Rawhide tussling with electroids. That man takes a robot dart for Buckaroo. It's not looking good for Rawhide. No. He just needs to catch his breath. He's not dying or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Buckaroo follows the professor and Big Booty, Big Booty down the purification vent. Uh, on the lookout, uh, Reno and New Jersey run across a watermelon. Why is there a watermelon there? I'll tell you later. So the random watermelon pointed out by Jeff Goldblum when they're touring the base was improv. Uh, the director explained that the watermelon was being stress tested to see how much load it could withstand for air dropping food to poverty stricken nations. So that was his explanation. Uh, in reality, they were placed around the set to test if executives were still watching the dailies. So dailies are like the film that they shot that day. They give it to executives so they can review it to make sure it's like okay for them to make stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, and if they did not ask about the watermelons, they knew that they were not watching the dailies so that they basically would have freedom to do whatever they wanted. Oh, okay. So that's why that watermelon's in there. That's pretty funny, uh, great. actually. Um, I, in subsequent watches, I looked for other watermelons and never spotted a single one, so... Yeah. The validity, validity of this story... A little up in the air. A little up in the air. You'd think that a couple more watermelons would have made it into some other shots. Right. But whatever. Making it to the basement, Buckaroo slinking through the files stacked on the shelves. Uh, big booty on his trail. Hakita making it to, the secure, to a secure area, locking himself in. Uh, and Penny... Uh, looking for anyone, anyone at all, runs across Hakita, and he gives her the overthruster as Big Booty crashes in to steal the overthruster from Hakita. Uh, saved by a diving buckaroo, blasting his gun in the same direction as his mentor professor. Like, he could have easily just shot Akita right in the face there. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, but he could have easily done it. In the commotion, Penny screams and escapes. Uh, she runs into John O'Connor and is taken capture. Why she doesn't continue to run, stands there, lets him, lets her be captured, lets herself be captured, is beyond me. But I'm beyond wondering about <laughs> that stuff anymore. Uh, the writing in this movie honestly does not do Ellen Barkin any favors. No does favors. It? They really portrays her as a incompetent damsel yeah, the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. 
a dumb, emotional woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big booty escapes through a small hole in the door. Okay, for whatever reason, sure, let's do it. <laughs> uh, back with Rawhide, and he is as good as dead. He can't feel his legs anymore. That's definitely not good. What are y'all looking at? You're on the clock. Saddle up. He's a true hero. A true hero. Uh, big booty and his crew escape in the Lindley's helicopter with Penny. Uh, she has the overthruster. Hey. And then one of the weirdest lines uh, delivered by Peter Weller in the whole movie. We'll get it back. We'll get it back. Just so <laughs> weird. So weird. It's very odd delivery. Uh, Buckaroo calls the president and he's telling the prez everything that's going on. Aliens posing as humans. Yo-Yo Dine is a company that they run. And then John Parker gets on the video call and he let the president know the true weight of the situation. Like, this is serious, dude. This is pretty dang serious. While New Jersey makes a breakthrough on why and how they can disguise themselves. It's electric brainwashing. Yeah. Uh, they breathe in, the, the humans breathe in these uh, particles and then the electrodes can control what they see. That really makes so little sense even for this movie. It really does. But uh, The president is very skeptical of what uh, Buckaroo and uh, John Parker are telling him. He's like, Electroids, Planet 10, a girl named John. <laughs> <laughs> He's hung up on her name being John. Come on, it's the 80s, man. It's Girls the can 80s. be named whatever. In the command bus, Lazardo calls Buckaroo, and Buckaroo puts him on speakerphone because he's like, ah, you guys all got to hear this guy. He's, he's, he's fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Lazardo tells Buckaroo that he has Dr. Penny Pretty. Uh, and Buckaroo's like, Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that he's going to hold her for ransom. Uh, the price is the overthruster, obviously. Uh, he needs it to complete his overthruster. It's the cru- it's the crucial sh- circuit. So he doesn't actually have an overthruster because isn't that what he like? They refer to what Penny has as the overthruster, not as a crucial circuit. Yeah. So he doesn't. I don't know. Whatever. Buckaroo realizes that Lizardo has yet to find the overthruster in Penny's possession. So Lizardo puts Penny on the phone so Buckaroo can convince her to give up the overthruster. Uh, Penny tells Buckaroo that she won't break. She'll never give it up. So all Buckaroo has to say to her is. Penny, get off the phone. <laughs> this doesn't even acknowledge the fact that she's alive, that she's not being murdered at the moment. Nope. Get off the phone. <laughs> uh, Lizardo tells Buckaroo to come to Yo-Yo Dine with the overthruster or Penny will die. I guess. Let's go with it. Uh, convinced that Buckaroo will come, he sends Penny to the pit. Take her to the pit. Go, big booty. Italian accent. Do it in Italian oh, accent. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Take her to the pit. Go, big booty. <laughs> gotta have the hand every time. I gotta do the hand. <laughs> also, what's with the ant torture thing? What kind of information are they going to get out of her? I don't. It's weird. Uh, don't really get it. John O'Connor's like drizzling honey on her seductively. <laughs> Those ants wouldn't stay in that little thing he's got. They would just run out of there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Plus, did you notice Christopher Lloyd's giant meaty hands when he was going <laughs> through the purse? He has enormous hands with giant sausage fingers. <laughs> giant hands. Uh, the movie's main villain, John Warfin, is not seen for more than 42 straight minutes. Jeez. Over 40% of the film's runtime. The last time we saw him was when he escaped from the asylum. Holy crap. That's nuts, isn't yeah, it? That is nuts. It's almost like it's a little bit of a Hannibal Lecter yeah, type of situation. Yeah, that's what I thought of when you said that. Sure. John Warfin, Hannibal Lecter. Comparable characters. Definitely. <laughs> Comparable performances. 
I'm gonna give it to John Lithgow though. His performance is probably the best one in the movie. One hundred percent. Probably the I best mean, one. He's the most convincing. He is. He's he's supposed to be over the top and crazy. Right. His character makes sense in the setting of this movie. Right. Yeah. About the only character About that makes the only sense. One. About the only one. Uh, on the bus again, and now they have a device to negate the Electroid's mind control. Uh, New Jersey takes a breath through the device and looks at John Parker. He does not like what he sees. No. It's a pretty good Goldblum moment. Yeah. There's some very good Goldblum eyebrow and eye acting out of that. <laughs> I enjoy that very much. Uh, Buckaroo lays out the plan to take out Warfin. Uh, the top priority is the Overthruster. Um, and who knows what else they're going to find. So be on your toes, guys. Yeah. Uh, back with the president and things are getting serious. Code red. Uh, if we go code red, the Russians will go code red. So don't panic. <laughs> then an EMP takes out the electronics. An EMP from who? Yeah. For why? Yeah. For what? <laughs> <laughs> Who, why, or what? None of those have been answered. <laughs> and apparently, one of these uh, depictions of how an EMP affects electronics is wrong. Is Golden Eyes correct, or is Buckaroo Banzai's correct? Golden Eyes, everything explodes. <laughs> yeah. And Buckaroo Banzai, some lights flash. Most of the electronics still work. Yeah. Which one's right? I'm gonna say neither. It's probably like in the middle. <laughs> yeah. It's there's definitely a happy medium somewhere. <laughs> probably. Probably. Um, uh, the, if the Russians escalate their defense standing at this point, then things are inching closer to World War Three. And the general in the room is shitting his pants while <laughs> making fudge, as he puts it. Very, it's a PG movie, so there's a couple of swears. There's barely any smoking, and there's yep. definitely no nudity. Yep. There's not even really kissing in this movie. No, there's <laughs> we talked about that. Some serious lip rubbing. Serious <laughs> lip rubbing. Uh, and then the general gets told off, told off by some lady in the room. Who is she? I we certainly have no idea. <laughs> yeah. She has not been introduced to us. She has not had any other lines. She happened to be in the room when they do the initial jet car run at the beginning of the movie. Oh, okay. And unless you like have watched the movie multiple times, there's no way that you would put those two things together. No way. She belongs there, but who is she and why is she there? Right. Use her name once. At least once. You know. Call her. She's a congresswoman. I don't remember her name off, but she's a congresswoman if you look in the, the credits of the movie. Yeah. Call her Congresswoman so-and-so. Yeah. Just so we know. Congresswoman John. There you go. Something. And, he'd be, and the president would be like, wait a second. You're a woman. Your name's John? John? Get out of here. Get out of here. I heard about <laughs> you. Yeah, so we have no idea who that lady is, and uh, she rips the general a new one. Stop acting like a goddamn schoolgirl, general, and pull yourself together. <laughs> and the president says, I'm glad someone has the balls to face facts. <laughs> okay. 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 Buckaroo heads the yo-yo dine, confident as ever. Uh, give me 30 minutes and then come in and mop up. At yo-yo dine, and things are looking pretty grim for uh, Penny Pretty. Uh, she's getting her face pushed straight down into a water-filled passage in the bowels of Yo-Yo Dine. What are they going to do to her? I don't know, but it doesn't look good. Her scream is very, very convincing. It's like a legit, like, convincing, scary scream. Like, yeah. It, uh, it gave me those reactions of like, oh my God, what's going to happen to her? Right, right. Like, I would assume that they're going to murder her terribly right then and there. Oh, That's yeah. what I would assume, but they don't. Uh, with the president again, once again, just flip-flop, 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 flip-flop. <laughs> Give me a second with these scenes, movie, please. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and WW3, 
World War III, as most people would call it, is just a few button pushes away. Uh, plus the short form for the Declaration of War, which is a, a really funny moment when he's like, the Declaration for War the short form because <laughs> it's an emergency and he doesn't have time to fill out all the paper. <laughs> right, right. That's a funny joke. That's that a joke. Awesome. That's a joke. It's a funny joke at Yo-Yo Dine and Buckaroo has finally arrived. Uh, while Warfin is giving quite the speech to a mostly uninterested group of red electroids, right? They're, yep. they're barely interested. Uh, we find out that all they want to do is go back home and seize power like they had before. Where are we going? Italian accent. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Where are we going? Planetan. When are we going? Real soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, enter Buckaroo in the jet car. Uh, there is no overthruster in that jet car because Penny hasn't. Uh, uh, take him to the shock tower. That should be in an Italian accent. Uh, take him to the shock tower. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't kill Penny. She's just strapped down with a ramp directed at her face. Seems like not a good thing. No. She is strapped down in such a way that they made it look overtly sexual, didn't yeah, they? Definitely. I know you got to try to get a little bit of like sexiness in the movie for the adult men, but, but not really the way to go about it. Uh, personally, I am not into bondage, so no. that is not sexual to me no. at all. It looked more uncomfortable yeah. than anything. Scary, horrific. Scary, horrific, <laughs> uncomfortable, not sexual. Yeah. Not sexual. So it's just kind of weird how they did that. I just thought it was very weird. Definitely. Uh, Buckaroo in the shock tower now. He's got a whole tower devoted to shocking people. Shock tower. Yeah. It's a shock tower. It's a shock tower. <laughs> uh, give Worf and the formula or get shocked a bunch. Seems like fun. Yeah. A big booty, a more power. Big booty. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Buckaroo isn't going to give it up. He's never going to let you down. He just wants to save Penny because he's in love with her dead twin. He's That's gonna it. give it up. He's never gonna, gonna let, let you down. down. He just wants to save Penny because he loves her dead twin. <laughs> love it, love there it. There you go. I tried to sing it off the bat, but I missed. I lost the tune. Uh, Peter Weller. Peter, Peter Weller. Uh, Weller. Weller was initially reluctant to take this role because of its uneven tone. Really? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so he did notice. <laughs> he did so he noticed. Uh, Weller recalled in a Sci-Fi Universe interview, would it be campy? Would it be a cartoon or would it be this sort of wacky, realistic film that would catch people sideways and not be a cartoon? Yeah. All of the above? Yeah, it, definitely all of the above. It should have been a cartoon. I honestly think it should have been a it cartoon. It should have been a cartoon. It probably would have done better and it would have been cheaper. It would have been cheaper. It would have looked better. It definitely would have looked better. Not to take away from the look of this movie because it is very 1980s sci-fi yeah, looking. for sure. Especially the stuff at the end of the movie where they're flying around in the sky just made me think of Never Ending Story. It had a very similar yep, look. Definitely. But, uh, but a cartoon would have been a more successful execution of this movie. Yeah. Could have done so much more. Could have made it look like a comic book. Could've I wonder if the things. television show was supposed to be animated. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It should have been. Any way you look at it, it should have been. Uh, the Secretary General, he joins the Cavaliers at this point. Uh, we're back in the Shock Tower, and Warfin is trying to use Penny as a bargaining chip, still to no avail. A big booty, activate your probes. <laughs> probes activated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cavaliers, they are going to Yo-Yo Dine, finally. Uh, the Secretary General uh, helps them get in by distracting the guards. John Yaya and John Smallberries, I want to talk to your supervisor or whatever. <laughs> uh, the Cavaliers disembark the bus and head in to save Penny and Buckaroo. 
what does New Jersey have on his arm? I don't know. It looks ridiculous. I think it's something so we can like rest the barrel of the gun on his arm, you know, okay. to like be able to aim better. That makes more sense than what I thought. I thought it was like something to defend yourself against melee type I'm, weapons. It might I, as well be. But I've never seen it until this movie. No, so. it's very your guess good. is as good as ours no matter what you no matter how you look at it they all look pretty ridiculous in their Definitely. fighting garb with their face paint and yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> inside they discover the red lectroid nest and john parker snaps a red lectroid's neck who happen all, who happens also to be a little person <laughs> after, after he attacks tommy in a pretty shitty trap very shitty trap just falls from the sky like what did he expect to happen after like, he's like, I'm sick of this world. I want to die. I'm gonna die. <laughs> I don't know. What that did he must say? have been what it was. It's the only thing I can think of. Uh, the Cavaliers move deeper into the Yo-Yo Dying facility, and the Red Lectroids are very oblivious. Yes. Everyone is, like, walking around talking at full volume. All the Cavaliers are. Yeah. They're not really hiding at all. No. But finally, Tommy's beeping watch alerts the Electroids to their presence, and the power gets knocked out after one of the Electroids runs over to this thing to set the alarm off, and they shoot up the Electroid and the power grid, and all the power gets knocked out. And, um, lots of confusion. Everyone's blasting away, um, allowing Buckaroo, though, to escape because he can't get shocked anymore because there's no more power. Uh, Warfin orders Big Booty to go kill Penny. Uh, and all this time, the Secretary General has been going further into the facility as and further into the facility as well, until he comes to a room with a sign on it, spelled terribly. Yep. Nobody comes in here. Secret. <laughs> so what do you do on a room that's a, a secret door? You knock on it before you enter. That's uh, what I would do. Alerting everybody to your presence. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's a very weird green room. It looks very sci-fi. Uh, it looks cool, you know, but it's yep. just a weird green room. Uh, New Jersey finds Buckaroo in the basement. Then he gives him a pistol. But luckily for New Jersey, he's got a second pistol. Yeah. You know. And then they go back the way that they came from, the the way Buckaroo came from. They just turn around and go back the way. Did you like his little homing beacon that like clicked like a blinker and had arrows pointing the direction? That <laughs> yeah. Click, clock, click, clock, click, clock. Clock. <laughs> Oh, boy. The Secretary General, he finds Big Booty, and Big Booty leads him through a door that says Pit. Maybe don't follow the alien into a door that says pit. I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> Personally. Maybe don't do that, but he did it. <laughs> so in that room, though, that they just exited, there's also a giant alien spacecraft that goes mostly unnoticed. Yeah. Did you see the table that was full of uh, uh, lava lamps? No. There's a table full of, I bet you there's two dozen lava lamps on a table <laughs> off to the left-hand side for reasons unbeknownst to anybody. Makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, Buckaroo in New Jersey, they kill some Lectroids, and we finally find Penny. Uh, she's going to have a space slug eat her face. That's what I'm right. That, yeah. Space slugging. The Secretary General wants some answers from Big Booty, but he's not going get to any, get any. He just gets hoisted up by his tie and dropped to the ground, apparently knocking him out. Because he does, he comes to a little while later. It's kind of weird. Uh, at this point, though, knowing the jig is up, uh, Big Booty is done with Warfin. Damn him and the horse he rode in on. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo and New Jersey reunite with the rest of the gang and then saves Penny. What is that? Don't pick it up. So what does Buckaroo do? Instantly picks it up and throws it. Obviously. Uh, they don't find the overthruster because the Secretary General stole it. Hey. How did they not find it in that bag? 
Big Booty was literally going through the bag. Just must have been the meaty hands. Yep, the meaty, meaty hands. Got in the way. Couldn't couldn't see past his meaty hands. Uh, now that Warfin's plan is falling apart, he decides it's time to leave. So he sounds the call to board the ship. Uh, here, big booty. Uh, here, big booty, you can carry my overthruster. <laughs> that was a bad one. Uh, Buckaroo and John Parker find the ship. Uh, it's a troop ship. Uh, Warfin spots them and Bucker spots them. Uh, Buckaroo and Parker now have to fight their way out of another situation. Just lots of people falling from high places. I, ah! I love ah! it though. It's a really funny scene. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Buckaroo and Parker manage to board the ship just before it's locked down. Uh, luckily for them, they came in through the thermopod because that's the only place they go. Yeah. I think them going into more of the ship and then getting into the thermopod would make more sense, especially since that thermopod later in the movie gets ejected out of the top of the spaceship. They come in through the bottom of the spaceship. I know I'm thinking about this movie maybe a little bit too much, but still, like a little bit of continuity. Try a little bit harder. A, on a little bit. I mean, maybe that's part of the charm. Is the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's part of the charm of yeah. this movie. Uh, sure. You can never see anything <laughs> coming in this movie. You really, really can't. Um, they do comment that it's a badly designed thermopod for whatever that is. Uh, did you notice the picture of Orphan in the cockpit? There's uh-uh. a picture of John Warfin in the cockpit that like looks directly at who would be flying the, the thermopod. <laughs> uh, the ship is ready to take off with Warfin's overthruster, but Big Booty has his doubts. It will never work. Shut up, uh, John Big Booty, you coward. You're the weakest individual I've ever known. <laughs> that was really bad again. Uh, Big Booty flips Warfin the bird. Uh, yep. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, Scooter finds the Secretary General messing with the jet car covered in plastic. Who covered it in plastic? Why would the Electroids cover it in plastic? Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, Get away from that car. I'll drink your blood. What does that mean? The kid wants to drink his blood. Yeah. Uh, That's not a real gun, is it? Oh, it's a very real gun, and you're about to be shot by a fifth grader, so I would comply. (laughs) I would comply. Uh, time to take off to the eighth dimension. Uh, they have a subpar overthruster, and it's probably not going to work. Uh, he's uh, Warfin's abandoning the rest of the Electroids. You can hear them outside. Wait for us! Don't leave us here! Uh, within the pod uh, with Buckaroo and Parker, uh, it starts to fill with an insulating fluid. Okay. All right. I mean, I did notice when uh, the thermopod falls from the tree earlier in the movie that the the electroid that ends up having to do the self-destruct is sitting in like a water bath. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. And now we get a little bit of an explanation of why he's sitting in that bath. Right. But how about an explanation to why you need an insulating fluid? Maybe like, it's just an insulation fluid so we can communicate with the ship directly. I like it. A simple line Something. like that. Yeah. Simple line. Nope, we don't get nope. that. We don't get that. Uh, Big Booty and Warfin get into a fight. It's Big Booty. Tay! <laughs> and then Warfin shoots him and kills him dead. Yeah. Just like that, dead. I'm sick of trying to say your name right. <laughs> big Booty's a pretty big part of the movie. I think he deserved a little bit of a better death than just a shot to the chest. I agree. I agree, too. I said it, so obviously I agree. Uh, <laughs> when Christopher Lloyd's character flips off John Lithgow at the end of the film... Uh, this was improv and caused Lithgow to crack out of character. Nice. In the film, you can slightly see it before the scene cuts. Apparently, that's the story. Frankly, I'm skeptical. 
John Lithgow's back is to uh, Christopher Lloyd. Oh, really? Right? In that scene when he flips him off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he does kind of have like a half smile on it. I think that is made up internet bunk. I don't think that's a real thing because, I mean, maybe I just I don't see you being able to get that information from watching the movie. I found it nowhere else. So I think that's bunk. Yeah. I think that's bunk. Something like bunk. You see that out on the internet? Don't believe it. Be skeptical. Don't believe it. Be skeptical. Believe us. Believe us. Yes, believe us. Warfin continues his attempt to travel back to the eighth dimension, but it doesn't work because his... Uh, oscillation over thruster is junk it doesn't work he's known it doesn't work right he's missing the crucial circuit (laughs) obviously it's not going to work instead they crash through the wall and take off into the sky uh they did not achieve crossover they did not no uh the black electroids have been watching and think things are going to go in the wrong direction stand by to incinerate smolensk Things are getting serious. Yeah. Uh, Warfin, eje- Warfin ejects Buckaroo and Parker uh, from their ship in the pod out into the sky, and they fall like a rock. Arrivederci, a bonsai. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo, being the guy he is, hotwires the pod, and they stop just in time. Hotwires alien sp- an alien spacecraft. Yeah, the it, first works, time- it works the same as a Ford, you know? Uh, Parker was uh, no help in this situation. I'm a, is this Italian? No, this is this would be <laughs> Jamaican if you want to try it. <laughs> I'm a diplomat. I failed the flight. That's Italian again. <laughs> That's Italian. Do your best. I'm trying to think of uh, right near the beach. There you go. I'm a diplomat. I failed flight school. That was great. Um, Buckaroo is already a pro at flying the pod because why not? Obviously. Why not? It's just like flying a truck. <laughs> it is just like flying a What's a truck? <laughs> <laughs> What's a truck? They do find that the pod has some offensive capabilities, which looked like it was just a pistol put into a tube yeah. that fires a laser. We'll go with it. We'll go with it. Uh, They flip sweets or seats, not sweets, seats, so Buckaroo can figure out what's going on with that laser. Uh, Buckaroo and Parker, they chase down Warfin and blow him out of the sky. Go left, left, left. I am going left. No, my left. (laughs) And bam, the kill shot. The kill shot. Uh, The black electroids, they call off their attack. Uh, John John Warfin destroyed. (laughs) Destroyed. So weird. Uh, Buckaroo decides to parachute home at that point. Yeah. Just to, sure. I mean, it, it looks cool. It it's looks a cool. Look. Yeah, it really does. He's got a rainbow parachute. You know, it looks cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Buckaroo salutes Parker as he leaves in the pod. And Parker is also now an expert podsman. Yeah. Even though he failed flight school. Yeah. He's treating that <laughs> thing like he knows how to fly like the back of his hand now. <laughs> yep. Okay. Landing back at the factory, Buckaroo is only concerned with Penny. He should have been miles, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away from that factory. Way, way farther. Yes, they could have flown back and in the in the thermopod and then jumped out of the thermopod and then parachuted down, but feels like he shouldn't have been right over the factory still. No. That's okay. But yes, Buckaroo is only concerned with Penny at this point. Uh, she's in the bus. She's going to be okay. <laughs> so we think. Scooter returns the overthruster to Buckaroo. 
So the well, Buckaroo then offers Scooter a ride in the jet car, but he's got to ask his dad, who's standing right there, and then his dad could have easily said, yeah, go ahead, but he doesn't. No. And then Buckaroo's like, let me go get washed up first. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. But that oscillation overthruster is also on the bulkhead of Zephram Cochran's ship in Star Trek The Next Generation's First Contact, the movie. Uh, when Cochran, uh, William Riker, and Geordi LaForge launch on his ship, it's right next to Commander Riker's head. Nice. So that's kind of cool. The that's actual cool. overthruster from this movie is in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. I like it. I appreciate those little things. Uh, Buckaroo heads to the bus to reunite with Penny, and New Jersey breaks the bad news. Turns out Penny's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you get that. You just said she was okay. You just said she was fine. Nope, she's dead. No, then I didn't mention she was dead. <laughs> I meant like oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's <laughs> fine to be over there dead. <laughs> like it's fine that she's there. Uh she's not in the way. She doesn't smell yet, so it's good. <laughs> okay. You know, but New Jersey, he did all he could for her, including he did all he could for her. Uh, did you enjoy how he gently caresses Buckaroo as he walks up the bus? He's just like, oh, Buckaroo. Oh, Buckaroo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Buckaroo passes through the command center. Buckaroo, the president's on line one, calling about if everything's okay with the alien space bomb in Planet 10, or should we just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. <laughs> Which was yes, the destroy Russia or the uh, number two? <laughs> <laughs> one of the funnier lines and bits in the whole movie, Definitely. right? One of the real like laugh out gags that actually make you laugh. Yeah. Not ironically laugh at how terrible it is. Um, finally, reunited with a dead penny. And Buckaroo brings her back to life with a little nose-to-nose shock. Yeah, that's all it takes. And then a little gentle lip rubbing. Some nice lip rubbing. Uh, oh, that'll get you in the mood. I just want to rub lips with you. Can we, like, rub lips? <laughs> one of them must have honestly been, like, uncomfortable with kissing the other one, whether it's because they thought they were gross, <laughs> they didn't yeah. get along, or I'm, maybe they had, like, a husband or wife that yeah. just was not cool with I being... Am, a... I am not getting paid enough to kiss you on the lips. <laughs> you can rub my lips with your lips, but that is as far as it goes. <laughs> I'm. I really am sad that I did not have Kristen watch this movie with me because I would have <laughs> next time I would have just gently rubbed my lips on her lips, just gently done it. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, Buckaroo Banzai. It'd yeah. be funnier to do it without her knowing, <laughs> yeah. and then be like, yeah, I don't even want to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so much like Snow White and Prince Charming, if Prince Charming was a rock star, brain surgeon, action hero, yeah, Penny comes back to life. And then they bang. <laughs> right? Obviously. And they bang. And then uh, one of the uh, black electroids is superimposed over the, sc- over the scene and says, so what's the big deal? I don't get it. Plain and simple. No. I mean, did he have something to do with bringing Penny back to life? They kind of make you think that. Right. But I just I really don't get that. I don't get it. Maybe the Japanese uh, text that was on the uh, blinds actually said something that he was like answering to. I I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It makes very little sense to me. 
Uh, and then we get the uh, watch for the next adventure of Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai against the World Crime League. Obviously no sequel because this movie was a flop. Right, right. Obviously no sequel. Roll credits. Roll credits. Those magnificent, magnificent credits. Yep. Uh, these end credits were shot in the L.A. Basin, and they were shot six months after filming. It was believed the film needed a more epic ending. Uh, besides characters being brought back from the dead for the scene, if you look uh, at Perfect Tommy, uh, he changes wardrobe two times. Two times. The internet says three, but it's two. It's two. Watch. Watch. Internet. It's two. Do your homework. It's two. And I agree that it did need a more epic ending. It really did. the ending was garbage it was before that. very it's bad. like, what? That's the end? Yes. And then, okay, that's kind of enjoyable. I feel like they could have, so at points... They're trying to make it look like everybody is walking in time to the beat, right? Yeah. And the beat of that song is pretty fast. Yeah. And they were having a really hard time doing it. Yeah. It would be like 95% of the people would be doing it, and then like one or two wouldn't, and then it'd be like none of them are doing it. Right. And they'd be just like, let's just do a cut of a couple of feet, and then it'd be like, let's just do waist up, because nobody's walking on time. Yeah. I don't know. The ending is epic to me. I absolutely love the ending. It's yeah. something that I used to just go on YouTube to watch nice. for fun. Um. What did you think of this movie, Trav? Totally out there. Totally yes. crazy, but still enjoyable. Still enjoyable. Still enjoyable. I mean, I love John Lithgow, so it's kind of funny to see him in something totally crazy random. And like you said, yes. he is the best part of the movie. He for really sure. is. But uh, I'll say one thing from the beginning intro. I wish there was more martial arts. Yeah, for being... It, a- I, it makes it seem like we're about to get a heavy dose of martial arts. There's a little bit of neurosurgeon... A tiny bit of martial arts and just a shit ton of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Shit ton of crazy. But it's still good for sure. What do you think? Because you've watched it a whole bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, I've probably seen this movie with the watches now for the home for the homework for the podcast. I bet you I've seen this movie close to a dozen times. Now. Sure. Uh, most of the times when I would watch it, like I mentioned before, it would have been on VHS, rented from Lewis Drug in the mid '90s. Um, but this movie also holds a little bit of a special place in my heart because it has a heavy tie-in to a thing that I used to belong to called Regal Social Club. Have I mentioned Regal Social Club on this podcast before? I I do not think so. So for a period of maybe six years from about 04 until 2010, I belonged to this group that kind of materialized out of nowhere, mostly done ironically, called the Regal Social Club. And we watched terrible movies like Buckaroo Banzai, (laughs) smoked cigars and cigarettes and everything you could think of. And drank terrible Blatt's beer. That was the only type. Yes. And it had, okay. The club had many, many rules. (laughs) Many, many rules. We all held special uh, uh, places within the club. Like we had our hierarchy where it was like we had our president. We had our vice president. We had like our communications officer. We had me who was the director of consumables, which was. If you were if you didn't drink, it, Super Chill was the only pop that you could buy. You could uh, have all there. right. So I was in charge of making sure there was plenty of Super Chill, plenty of Blatt's beer, and plenty of terrible cigars and pipe tobacco. Yikes! Uh, but that was my main job in the in uh, the Regal Social Club. But the crux was to watch terrible movies, which we did, and to have these crazy, weird ironic type meetings like we would go through the whole thing where we would like open for business and like do all those things where we had a gavel okay 
I got to calm. <laughs> I, there's so many things flashing through my mind about Regal Social Club right now. It's something that I don't talk about a whole lot because a lot of those people, we're all spread out across the country now and yeah. something that does not come together. It lives on the internet in certain ways. Like there's a Facebook page for Regal Social Club. There's this weird like uh, internet board for it. But let me get back to what the club was all about. Should I start at the beginning? The I feel like I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> To start at the beginning, it started as Spooky Club, where my friend Mike invited some people over to his apartment to watch bad horror flicks on Halloween. All right. And we smoked cigars and pipes in his apartment, which eventually got him evicted because it was so smoky. <laughs> but that evolved into a weekly Spooky Club on Wednesday nights. All right. And then the, the plan, more and more people would keep on coming to this. And then we decided we need a new name for this because we want to expand past just horror films. And Derek Skillings goes, how about Regal Social Club? Just out of nowhere. And we're like, great, Regal Social Club. That's what we're going to call it. We gave everybody their titles. Like I said, I was the director of consumables. And then what is it called when you have that type of like government where you like bang the gavel and you need stuff to be seconded to come up and new business it's got a specific name not sure and i can't remember what it's called but he would open up the meeting this is the so-and-so meeting of the regal social club is there any nude business and so that means new business okay and then we would go through that and if somebody likes something like it would be somebody would propose like we need to go to happy chef and have a public meeting yeah. And if somebody liked that, they would say, I second that emotion. So you would second the notion or second the emotion, but I second that emotion. And then it would go to a vote. And if you wanted to vote for it, you would hew. You would go, hew, because there was this weird religious thing on campus at the time. They were passing out cards about the power of hew. So we kind of adopted it as an, an, <laughs> an ironic thing. If you didn't want to vote for it, you were in contrellants, like Kim Cottrell, contrellants. So you would go contrellants. And then if you didn't want to vote, you would play it cool. So they would say, is there anybody playing it cool? But if you're playing it cool, you can't do anything. So you would just sit there. There would be no answer. Nobody would know if anybody was playing it cool ever. <laughs> right? And then at the end, of, so then we would do our weird business. We would have our movie, whatever it was. We would smoke our cigars, smoke our pipe tobacco, drink Blatt's beer in Super Chill. And then at the end of the night, we would have a dance party every Wednesday. All right. A half an hour to an hour dance party of probably at the peak of the meetings, there was probably 40 of us. Jeez. Dudes having, 40 dudes having a dance party in a basement. Oh, it's all dudes. It's all dudes. It's all dudes. It was all dudes. Bunch of sweaty dudes. Dance party. Dance party. There's so much more, and I feel like I'm just glancing the surface of Regal Social Club. So if anybody wants to learn more about Regal Social Club, email us. Email us. Email us. All right. So Buckaroo Banzai, Regal Social Club, I tie them together in my life. So whenever I see Buckaroo Banzai or it gets mentioned, I think Regal Social Club. And it makes me think of a very special time in my life, <laughs> a very weird time in my life. And I brought when this movie came up, I brought up Regal Social Club to my wife, who during the peak of Regal Social Club is when we started dating. And she just looks at me and goes, oh, yeah. 
the weirdness. And I was like, <laughs> yes, the weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the weirdness. So this movie, special spot in my heart, makes me think of Regal Social Club, makes me think of friends that I haven't seen in many, many years and wondering where a lot of these people are at now. So I love this movie for many reasons besides the fact of the movie. Like yeah. the movie itself has very little impact on why I like the movie. Right. It's just an interesting thing for this me. The movie seems perfect for the Regal Social it Club. It really was. And Blatt's is disgusting. Yes, it I is. I do not drink beer. Haven't even attempted it for a long time. But when I first came to Mankato, I was under the illusion that maybe I could train myself to like beer. <laughs> Good luck. So there was multiple times that I remember shotgunning a Blatt's, thinking <laughs> it can't get any worse than this. So if I can get used to Blatt's, then maybe I can upgrade to a quote-unquote premium good tasting beer with delicious hops <laughs> and it just never worked it never it ever never worked. worked blatz is disgusting and all worked. beer is disgusting all beer is so. disgusting yuck yucky 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 um so i hope that regal social club rambling made somewhat sense i feel like it didn't make much <laughs> sense and who knows maybe i'll just chop it all out of there but trav we need to talk about our homework assignment yeah now. we do so our homework assignment for next episode is going to be two episodes of Rocco's Modern Life. Um, I chose a couple of random episodes, back to back episodes from season two, because they're ones when I was going through the list. I'm like, I know that episode. I know that episode. Those are some fun episodes. Let's do them. So we're doing season two, episodes 10 and 11. And they come in at episode 10 is part one is hair licked. Part two is gutter balls. And then episode 11, part one is Junk Junkies, and part two is Day of the Flecko. So I'm excited to get to some more Rocco's Modern Life after watching both of those episodes this morning because I was up at 3.30 a.m. with my son Cameron. (laughs) Uh, I can't wait to do more Rocco, and I think Rocco deserves a whole season treatment next time we do Rocco's Modern Life. Definitely. Um, Trav, do you have anything that you would like to say about either Buckaroo Banzai or Rocco's Modern Life before you hit me with that outro? No, I think it's time to move on from the weirdness. I am excited to get back into some Rocco, but let's just get right into them emails. So our first email is from Speckleback Harry. He wants to know a place you always wanted to go as a kid, but you never got the chance. Disney World. Disney World. Disney Easy World one. or Disneyland. Yep. I never got the chance to go to Disney either one of those. Still haven't been to either one of them. Yep. Um, I know there was a couple other places like Six Flags. Those Six Flags commercials used to oh, see yeah. all the time. And I'd be like, I want to go to Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. Nickelodeon Universe, like the Nickelodeon Studios, because oh, I was yeah. such a Nickelodeon kid. When they would have the stuff that was like live at the studios, oh, and I'd see yeah. all those kids with like the slime fountain and stuff. I'm like, man, I just want to go there. I need to be there. Yeah, so those are my big ones. How Definitely. about you, man? I put Universal Studios. Yeah. For sure. Always wanted to. I love theme parks, amusement parks, roller coasters. So I always wanted to go there. But my dad wasn't a big trip taker. No, oh, that's too we bad. We never really went on any cool trips. So any trips I did was with my un- aunt and uncle. And we did do a Six Flags and we did some other stuff like that. But I never went with them as far as Florida mm. or California gotcha. or anything. Gotcha. But I would still love to go there. Yeah, let's Tra- go, man. Jurassic let's go. Park rides, Batman rides. Let's do it. Overdue Omer podcast, <laughs> heading to Universal Studios. Coming at you live. <laughs> That'd be badass. That would be badass. We're, we're going to get to that point, so make it Someday. happen. Uh, next one here is from Hulkamania1979. Wants to know, 
if you could be a part of any tag team or group of wrestlers or anything like that as a kid, who would it be? Bushwhackers. 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 Yeah. They were my favorite tag team, so it's got to be Bushwhackers. Got to be the Bushwhackers. Oh, what was the other one? The Nation of Domination? Yeah. yeah they Nation were, uh, yeah. of Domination. Yeah, that was pretty fun, too. That eventually had The Rock, yep. right? Because yep. it started with D-Lo Brown yeah. in, the head, in the head. Yeah. yeah. And then it had The Rock, and then he was the popular one. Yeah. And eventually yep. said, Nation of I'm done with the Nation of Domination. Going out on his own. I put, uh, as a kid, I would have said DX. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Because sure, sure. we were doing the suck it to all, <laughs> every damn kid and teacher we knew in the 90s. Uh, suck it. Uh, now I would say the Wolfpack. Oh, yeah, NWO why not, right? Wolfpack. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh, oh. Dude, Sting. <laughs> yeah, man. Razor Ramon. Yeah. Oh, man. Kevin Nash. Hulk. Love it. Yep. And wasn't Goldberg a part of it for a short stint, too? Yeah, he was. For sure he was. Yeah. I mean, NWO, I feel like I wasn't super into it then when they changed to Red, the Wolfpack. Oh, that was my jam. That was the best. My jam. Uh, Next email comes from Bats on the Brain. (laughs) Wants to know... One of your favorite gaming memories of your young adulthood, because we've talked about being kids and mm-hmm. games we like, so young adulthood, after high school. After a- high anything school. Anything after high school. Um, uh, Fallout 3. Honestly, it was a game changer for me when I discovered Fallout 3 on my Xbox 360. Nice. Um, it really made me fall in love with open world games and uh, the lore of it, uh, everything that went along with it, just reading... When you would get those, pa- it was the first game where when you would pick up article pages that had just tons and tons of text on them, which is just you know side backstory of what's going on in the universe, stuff like that. I would never read. Fallout Three was the first game where I sat there and read everything that you would pick up nice. and look at everything, try to find the everything and anything that you could possibly find in it, like. The Fallout universe really spoke to me, and it still does, even though Fallout 76 blows. blows. Fallout 4 like pales in comparison to Fallout 3, if you ask me. And I never played New Vegas, if you can believe that. I don't yeah. know how I never played New Vegas, but I never played New Vegas. But Did you play it on console or PC? Console. 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 The just Fallout 3 was, is probably that one that I played when it came out. Yeah, it came out probably when I was... 22 maybe 23 years old and that one really Prime. yeah that one really hours and hours and hours and hours and hours so that yeah. was that's the one for me so my memory i wrote down so it was actually a time that my cousin eli who's kind of who got me into gaming as a kid we were gonna go visit my family my aunt and uncle in south dakota he hadn't been with since i was a kid so we're all i was excited to get him to come with and i wound up hitting somebody with my car here in Mankato and broke my headlight and didn't have time to get it fixed. So instead of going to South Dakota, we just stayed here at my house and we tried to beat the world record of Smash TV. Oh, nice, man. And we did actually beat that. Awesome. Yeah, which was awesome. That's just one of my favorite memories. It was one of our favorite games to play ever. And we just went ham like for three days straight trying to practice that game. So yeah, that's mine. Um, my last thing here is my question for Drew. If you could travel to any dimension or universe to be a part of, what would it be? Hmm. Any dimension or universe to be part of. Um, you know what? I'm going to choose, uh, the universe of, uh, uh, oh my God. I can't think of the name of it. It was on the tip of my tongue. Fantasia. I would Fantasia. go to Fantasia. 
I wanted to call it Neverlandia. <laughs> Neverlandia. Fantasia, I think, would be the universe. If I could choose anyone to go into, I think I would go into Fantasia. Nice. Uh, that movie obviously holds a special place in my heart. It's one of my favorite uh, never-ending stories, one of my favorite movies ever, period. Yeah. So I think Fantasia would be super cool. I'd be uh, best friends with any luck dragon that would have me. <laughs> so I've never seen it, but that has to do with never-ending story? That is where Never Ending Story takes place. Oh, is in Fantasia. Yes. Okay, okay, yes, okay. Yes, yes. All right, all right, all right. Well, oddly enough, I put Neverlandia <laughs> on my... No, 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 but I put DBZ. Oh, I mean, that's a good one. Especially good one. with, you know, Videl is a human, so it's possible to become awesome yes. even though you're yes. a human. So, yes. yeah, definitely DBZ. That's awesome. I could awesome. train with Goku. Why not, right? <laughs> <Come> on. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up emails. So as we've said multiple times this podcast, man, our new email is easy to remember. How easy it's, is it? It's so easy. It is podcast at overdue homework. Email us people with anything. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at overdue homework podcast. And as always, make sure you tune in to the next exciting episode of the Overdue Homework Podcast. <laughs>